What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMCast. We bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. It is May 24th, 2019, and I am here with my lovely co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Natalie, how are you? Man, I'm doing great. Happy Friday. Let's, uh, let's eat some barbecue and get this thing going. Right, TGIF. I mean, we're not. I don't. I think this is the latest we've ever had a show, and um, yeah, scheduling was a big part of that. But also, I was kind of waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop in terms of the news, and we got nothing. It it really. Uh, I was thinking about. It, I was like, there's the. You know, we've had several stacked weeks between several MMA cards. With that's not discussing the boxing, and then it was just like this week. It's like. Nothing, you know. I was almost like, "Are you sure there's there's somebody fighting somewhere?" So the fact that it wasn't, it was it was a little bit jarring to me. What about you? Yeah, super weird. I was trying to do my fight schedule, and I just got two boxing fights. I missed TFL. I mean, not watching it, but posting it. So yeah, we got two fights on Saturday of the uh, of the squared circle variety, and that's it. Yeah, it was just one of those weird things. But, look, the MMA schedule always picks back up again. And uh, we we make it work. But we did have one fight night from Rochester, New York. It was UFC Rochester, obviously. And the welterweight debut of Kevin Lee, spoiled by former lightweight champion Rafael Dos Anjos. Natalie, to break this one down very simply, I was very impressed with RDA. I think he executed a great game plan. He just did everything correctly. He was moving to the right spots. He defended the offense of Kevin Lee very well. And on the Kevin Lee end of it, I don't know what it was. It was an adjustment jump. If it was just maybe RDA shocked him and he felt a lot stronger. But Kevin Lee just did not look himself. It was not the guy we're used to seeing, not the guy we expected to have a lot of energy, not having cut to 155. The only thing, um, two things, an adrenaline dump is very likely. Secondly, remember, just like we talked about with Max Holloway and Justin Poirier recently, RDA has had a lot of time to work on his uh, strength and conditioning to be an optimal welterweight. Kevin Lee... For the most part, he was more not cutting weight, and he's still in transition, so to speak. So I think that that collectively, even though they look the same size, there's a very good chance RDA was simply a lot stronger in there. So I think that played a big factor. But what was your assessment of the fight? Yeah, Kevin Lee did not um, show up the way we expected him to at this new weight class, but that's okay because your points are super valid. I suspect it does take a while to learn how to use your body in a fight with, you know, 10 extra pounds or or whatever it is. I mean, I don't know what he was walking in at when he was at 155, but but, um, not having to cut the weight, even though it's a benefit, it clearly affected him some way. Uh, He just wasn't used to carrying – however his body was configured now differently than 155, he wasn't used to manipulating it, to maneuvering it effectively he wasn't efficient with his cardio and and it showed so hopefully he learned a lot from this one i think adrenaline dump is is totally fair and there's probably some mind you know like uh, uh 
mind strength aspect to it that maybe he's just not focusing his energy correctly in his head, um, reacting in, in inefficient ways. And, and Rafael Dos Anjos is way too experienced in general, but also at, at welterweight to, uh, to have those kinds of hiccups against. So he got owned. I picked Kevin Lee to win via knockout, which is, I'm sort of, sort of embarrassed about that now, but Hey, whatever it is, what it is. I have terrible picks. I think everyone knows that by now. So I guess no one should be surprised, but <laughs> good for RDA. It was an excellent showing for him. Yeah. And in terms of the, the finish, I think that, um, when you're looking at a competition and not that Kevin Lee was taking a ridiculous amount of damage, he was being shut down, but, he wasn't getting knocked knocked around silly around the octagon, but I think that if I was looking at the situation internally, Kevin Lee is out there. He's in the fourth round when it happened, if I'm not mistaken. He's uh, I feel like uh, besides a good start in the first, second, and third, he's just been shut down. And if you're an athlete in there, there's kind of like, well, you know what? I still got time to turn this around. He has that big takedown attempt. It's the late half of the fourth round. RDA just shuts it off. And, and really, uh, I felt like mentally I see him in there, and I feel like he just kind of got resigned at that moment. It didn't look like he was necessarily, you know, exhausted, dead in that moment. I felt like mentally he might have just quit, and it's like, you know, the epic comeback was not going to happen. I think that. I feel like that thought we watched it cross his mind and that's why he kind of just had that collapse in RDA. Look, he, he's a high level fighter and you saw him take advantage of it, gets the arm triangle and chokes him out. Now the moving forward, the big thing about this one is that RDA, I think he was third in the rankings. People would say that he's not off a title shot, but we know that I'll call it the popularity vote. Kind of seems to be keeping him a little bit ahead right now, it's keeping other guys ahead, so to speak. Ben Askren, you know, maybe Jorge Masvidal in there. There are to get RDA back to a title fight. Is there anybody in your mind that really stood out in terms of who could be his opponent? Well, what's up to right now or our wonder boy thompson i know stephen thompson said he he wants a little take a little more time off and that would be a certainly a strange matchup because of the height difference but yep. i'm just looking at the rankings right now too i don't know if till's got a match yet um but yeah six and seven darren till stephen thompson anthony pettis is already fighting i don't know if thompson ibio has anything going on and Robbie Lawler, I think, is still waiting to see if he gets that fight rebooked with Tyron. I kind of wouldn't mind seeing Rafael against a tall Darren Till or a tall Stephen Thompson. That would be interesting. The thing about, uh, you know, Robbie Lawler is that I feel like he may not wait until Tyron Woodley gets healthy in. Let's say Ben Askren were to stop uh, Jorge Masvidal and get the victory there. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to maybe wait to see what happens with Kamaru and Colby. I think that the popularity, the just that, you know, breath of fresh air could really help propel him to a title shot. So in my mind, I really think it's possible that we see Tyron versus RDA. That was the fight that, you know, when RDA was on knocking on the door for a title shot, we thought would happen. 
Now that Tyron's not the champ, you know, maybe this is a little more likely, but yeah, it's just weird because it feels like anybody else would be a step back, but at the end of the day, you know RDA is just not next for a title shot. He's got to put probably at least another two good ones together, maybe three, before you're talking about, you know, Kamaru and, you know, whoever might hold the title in a in a year or so. So that really makes it difficult to match him up. But that was the guy that stood out to me is I don't think Robbie's going to wait that long and Tyron will need a fight against a guy. And I think that the if you're trying to build up Tyron or if you're trying to boost RDA back up there, that one just makes sense. I mean, that would be a heck of a matchup. Tyron's talking about coming back in August, hopefully. Um, what are we in, May, June, July? Yeah, I mean, that that sort of works out if, if Robbie Lawler indeed doesn't wait till August. So I'll see that. I think I think Tyron Merck's, Merck's RDA, but, uh, you know, it could be fun. Let's not give our predictions so early anymore. I think that's what's <laughs> been doing, Natalie. I, I can't help it, man. I can't help it. <laughs> it's like, what do you think of that fight? I think he chokes him out in the third round after it's like. It's what do you think about this fight? <laughs> this fight that's happening that's, in a year. Oh, uh, I'll tell I, you right I, now I, how it's going to end. <laughs> I, I think we're counting chickens too early. That's the problem with our picks on this show in 2019. Now I look at. Um, you're not wrong. He's so much more powerful on a good day. So, yeah, you're not wrong. I get it, but um. No, look, there's options, and I'm sure they're going to have a few more fights to play out. The Leon Edwards and others who are trying to move up, see where they're at. I think that'll all play itself out, too. Um, There's a lot of other good stuff going on on the card. Uh, Pereira, who had his UFC debut, had the the crying walkout and then performed like that, stood out to people. Uh, Felicia Spencer choking out one of my favorites, one of the people I've been very big on in – Megan Anderson and Felicia just withstood the storm and then choked out Megan. People already talking about uh, Chris Cyborg fight for her. Uh, by the numbers, you know, what I do I feel like you need a little more before you're in there with arguably the best featherweight, arguably the best women's fighter of all time? Yeah, but let's be honest. Besides Megan, there's no other official featherweight. It's just been women it's just been bantamweights moving up for these one-time fights. So Felicia versus Chris isn't really that ridiculous. I think it's actually very feasible. I think it could be an option later this year, depending on if Amanda fights Chris immediately after the uh, Holly Holm fight in July. So what stood out to you about all these storylines that came out of the, the cards? Yeah, 145 for the women is a shallow division, and uh, Felicia Spencer said as much. She was on Helwani's show, and she admitted that, you know, when she got signed to the UFC, she knew that her path to a, a championship fight was going to be very short because there was no one in the division. She expected also to face Cyborg soon, you know, I don't think anticipating who would be champion at the time. Well, actually, I'm not sure when she entered, but she knew she would face Cyborg. She said she's ready for it. And, uh, you know, she always rises to the occasion. I mean, literally, you've got nothing else. Why the heck not? If Cyborg wants it, Cyborg already called her out. So we know she wants it. Felicia Spencer's tough. She's, she's 28, 29. So she's, she's mature enough to really understand what that kind of competition is like. She's been doing jujitsu since, I mean, for almost 15 years. 
got a lot of experience. And, you know, does she have a chin? I don't know. But Cyborg's, Cyborg's you know, on the um, on the other side of her career, right? So I wouldn't say she's declining, but she's getting older. And so it could be a really interesting matchup. I'm, I'm actually excited to see it. Um, you think she might be your, a little... Oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, you think Cyborg might be a little more vulnerable than before for an opponent like Felicia Spencer to take out? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know what Felicia Spencer has in her hands as far as power, and so I wouldn't expect it to go for – if Felicia wins it, I wouldn't expect it to go that way for her. But, yeah, I wonder about Cyborg's psyche, right? Like, how does she feel? It was kind of um, an – I would say an embarrassing uh, loss because she lost her cool – all of her training, her patience, her, 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 you know, her training with Jason Perillo kind of just went out the window and she went into brawler mode. And it was a big, big fight for her. She lost her belt, the pinnacle of MMA fighting, the UFC belt, you know, something that she never even knew if she would get a chance at, at, at winning, at, at having that belt. So I wonder more about her mental state as far as, um, you know, the little PTSD from that loss. But I know she's a tough fighter. She's very focused on her faith and that helps her through tough times but it's an interesting matchup Felicia Spencer is not a joke she's she's new to the UFC but she's a serious a serious uh, opponent at 145 no I completely agree with you and I think that that was a great showcase for her on a good stage on ESPN uh, look, so moving quite along, there's only really a little bit going on. It's really just been kind of like what's going on in the world of MMA. So, for example, you have Israel Adesanya just throwing it down in Nigeria on the dance floor. <laughs> North Cuts, um, uh, you know what? Uh, I I'm trying to figure out, I've been trying to find words to explain what happened with Sage. Uh, first off, the fight itself, 30 seconds against a heavy hitter, that, it's not a sign of people saying this or that, he's a wash and all that. He got clipped in 30 seconds, guys. Calm down. Shoot, you can say the same about Chris Cyborg Amanda, really. So it's just, I know he's got that reputation, but to me, the injury, something like 30-plus fractures, they took bones out of his face, says Uriah Faber. What? What were your thoughts on all that? It's terrible, man. I mean, the loss is, is whatever, right? Yeah, as you say, it's just who hasn't been knocked out in, in 30 seconds or less in a, in a fight before? That's MMA. That stuff happens. But the nature of the injury was so severe shattered orbital bone, um, you know, a four-hour surgery that turned into a nine-hour surgery, and you're in Singapore. If I'm, you know, I don't know anything about the the world of medicine there, but just in general, like, I sort of hold the United States up on a high pedestal where that, where that in that regard. So if I'm in another country and I have to have a surgery like that, I would probably be a little bit nervous. But in any case, you had to have it done. I don't know what the recovery period is going to be like. Seeing pictures of him on Instagram, his face actually looks okay. He just has a tiny little bruise under his left eye, surprisingly. I don't know how many plates they had to use to repair his face. I don't know what it takes to fix that many tiny fractures in a really small, delicate area. I'm worried about how he'll, 
you know, psychologically, what's he going to feel like when he goes back into training? Should he even choose to resume his MMA career? He has a lot of options. He's a young, handsome man. He was, you know, studying engineering in Texas. He could try acting. I know he, he was working on some, like, um, was it a Street Fighter movie or something? I just I saw a promo for it. Yeah. I think he, he has plenty of options, and I really hope he considers seriously if he wants to pursue this career just because, not because he's not good, not because he's not capable, but just because that injury is so severe. I don't even know how you get back into a cage without always worrying about your face breaking again. Like, I feel like you can't be fully committed to throwing a punch, to taking a punch when, when that's at risk. So I know, like, Cub Swanson, I guess, had a similar injury a long time ago and has obviously come back and, and been fine. But you think about um, the other cyborg, Chris, Chris Cyborg's former husband, Evangelista, and that knee he took to the forehead, that was it. Oh, yeah. He never returned after that. So I'm really just worried about his health. And, and I hope that he makes the best decision for him um, going forward, man. That's a that's a tough, tough injury. Uh, I agree with you with all those things. I feel like I'd be remiss if I don't mention the kind of cruel irony that an injury like that in a fight like that happens to the guy who's unanimously called the nicest guy in MMA. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I, I kind of hear that. And, you know, it's the fight game. You don't p- play favorites. But you hear that and it's like, I'm sorry, Sage. I really am. You know, but, ow, 32 fractures. I, I, I guess, like, if you've seen the movie Doctor Strange, you're imagining, like, the the clicking and, like, a medical drama, like, tweezers pulling out little pieces of bone. And I'm like, oh, 32 fractures. Ay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, get, enjoy that California sun when you get home. Um, I know you live on protein shakes as something to look like an action figure, but maybe have <laughs> some cookies, some cake. You deserve it, man. Anyway. But, yes. Right? But, look, so a lot of different stuff going on. We kind of touched on it, but Tyron Woodley versus Robbie Lawler scrap. Woodley suffered the hand injury. He's talking about coming back in the summer. I'm going to say now that's a little optimistic. I always feel like you want to take more time, not less, unless your name is Tony Ferguson when you have an injury in terms of returning to the cage. Now they are moving Junior Dos Santos to versus Francis Ngannou to Minneapolis. The fight will still take place on June 29th uh, in terms of the card. A um, few things. So first off, JDS and Francis has essentially moved a week earlier. That's not too bad, really messing preparation too much in my opinion um the real story i think coming out of it is smaller apparently not taking any opponents because you saw everybody seemed to want to step up and fight robbie and it seemed you know according to helwani and just the general he wanted a rematch with either ben Askren or tyron and he just wasn't interested in any of the other guys what are your thoughts on that part of the story yeah, it makes sense. So I'm looking at the rankings. He's he's in the tenth spot on the UFC rankings, so it it does make sense for him to not just take any any uh, any oncomer, right? He's got to be strategic. Yeah. He he looked ferocious against Ben Askren, so I think we know he's got the stuff back, and he wants to probably get back to 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 getting a shot at the belt just as much as Tyron Woodley does, and so. 
who who would be who would an impressive win you know what would it count more if you get an impressive win over Woodley or Askren um, over let's say someone below that so yeah if I'm him I think it is the right move to just wait and hopefully he gets the Tyron match so I was just doing a a quick write up for Sure Dog on Tyron Woodley because he was talking on TM Sports today he wants to come back in August provided that he can get a cortisone shot 10 days prior to his match. So he's asking the UFC to look for a location or a state where the commission permits him to get the cortisone shot 10 days before the fight. Because otherwise he can't, he can't fight. He can't have surgery uh, because he's still fighting. He can only rehab. And the issue is his right thumb. He's got um, chronic arthritis in one of three joints and, and severe arthritis in the other. So, um, he can just rehab it and then take that cortisone shot 10 days before. So that kind of makes things, I don't know about more difficult. I assume there's a place, a state where that, where that will be permitted, but that's kind of what we're looking at right now. He wants August and, uh, and he wants Tyron. I'm sorry. He wants Robbie Lawler. And then after that, he wants an immediate title shot. He doesn't want to fight anybody else. He wants to go Robbie Lawler or someone else of equal value and then champion. I mean, I get where he's coming from. He's, you know, that's the tough thing about these guys in that, in at the top. And um, not to say that Tyron Woodley, you know, he loses to Kamaru and he's suddenly on the other side. But, you know, respectfully, he's been in the game a while. And technically you were to send him back down the line, you make him fight, you know, those Santos, Edwards, Jorge Masvidal, and then get to Kamaru Usman in a year. I don't know about that, you know? That's a really tough uh, aspect. And look, I get it. The Ben Astrins, the Jorge's, you know, all these guys surging forward for a title shot. Tyron Woodley, you have a loss like that. You're more on the downswing. It's tough to suddenly be like, you know, I am still up here. I should still be getting into a title shot because, we know the marketability of getting back to the belt is such a big part of, you know, building that storyline is sometimes as important as getting these first-round knockout submissions, really making yourself that monster in the weight class, right? So I think that's the challenge for Tyron Woodley. He's really got to get that narrative built up. He needs to just go out there and knock somebody out in 30 seconds himself and really just look like, you know what? I fixed the thing that I didn't have when I fought Kamaru. And that's what it, that's his challenge, I think, because it's not that he's not an elite fighter. It's not, I would still argue he's the best welterweight right now. Kamaru has a chance to build himself into that guy, and he's very close to it after his performance. But that's the challenge for Tyron Woodley. And then if you're Robbie Lawler, yeah, he's in a similar position. You fought just about everybody. Do you really have anything to gain from fighting the Ponzinibbios and all that? Uh, certainly, they're good fighters. They're good fights stylistically, but he's looking at his career. He wants the biggest fight as he, you know, you don't have too many long title campaigns left. You want to take the short route at this stage of your career, and I don't blame Robbie Lawler for that either. It's just about the schedule. Will it allow for him to get there? I think that's the big question that both Tyron and Robbie are facing at this point. Yeah, we'll see how this shakes out. It's still, you know, it's still right on the edge of being, being resolved or being, you know, delayed even further. So 
stand by. <laughs> All right, we say that a lot. You know what you're supposed to be like, okay, we're, on Saturday we'll find out what happens, not just, well, we'll wait and see some vague moment in the future. But that's the point of all news, isn't it? You know, whether it's sports, whether it's the weather, it's a 50% chance it'll rain. It's like, so you mean we won't know until tomorrow? Yep. Back to you, Connie, with the traffic. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Am I Connie in the scenario? (laughs) I don't know why. I feel like every sports person, like another one is named Connie. In when I think of it, it's like it's never a Brenda, never John. It's always Connie with the traffic. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh Moving man. On. Moving on. We're having, we're having a silly Friday, guys. What can I say? Uh, several women's bouts have been announced. There's been some stuff for Sacramento in July, as well as San Antonio, also in July. We're going to talk about two fights that I think are key. They're flying under the radar right now, but they have major implications. The first one, July 20th, San Antonio, Liz Carmouche against Roxanne Modafferi. Carmouche is 4-1 in her last five. Modafferi has been alternating wins and losses, but coming off that good one over your adopted sister, Antonina Shevchenko, (laughs) Natalie. Um, I know that – is Antonina doing okay? Have you guys – hung out yet she's she's okay she uh she good. hit the heavy bag a few times and she's good as new yeah she's she's doing the you guys are doing the dance of valentina we're doing you know. the dance yeah i'm trying okay, to learn yeah. the uh what's the dance called the lozginka or something i'm trying to learn that dance i, I don't know I, I i see that and all i think is if i stretch my leg up that high that many times something somewhere will rip and i'll need six months of rehab Um, yeah the leg's not coming back if you go that high (laughs) yeah but i mean it's really cool to watch but look so a great fight for the women's flyweight division liz i mean she's really most of her fights she looks like she's right there she just has that one blip um since she's been at a i think it was um Man, I, I'm blanking on it right now. I don't have a record pulled up, but she has just one loss in the last few years, and she's just looked great at 125. Roxanne, the win over Antonina, I think, was great in terms of building momentum. I think the question is, is she jumping too far into the deep end against Liz Carmouche? Not that Antonina, you know, tall, long, athletic fighter, but Liz Carmouche, quite frankly, she's a very powerfully, very, you know, stocky-built flyweight. She is a very strong, she's a former bantamweight, for crying out loud. She's uh, She's been around in the game for a while, and I think this is the real thing. As much work as Roxanne has done, is the power and the skill set of Liz Carmouche going to be too much? But you're talking about Jessica I fights uh, Valentina in about two weeks. The winner of this one, in all likelihood, is next for a title shot uh, in the last quarter of 2019. So what are your thoughts on the fight? I, you know, I like the fight. They're both veterans. They're, they're both, even at this stage in their career, still improving. And, uh, you know, Liz is training. It was, you know, you're talking about her size. They don't call her the, what is her nickname, the Gorilla? I mean, that's probably yeah. for a reason, right? She's got a heck of a physique. I was looking up her, her, her record right now. Sorry if you hear the phone ringing. Somebody's calling me. Um, 
And uh, her last loss was oh, to okay. Alexis <laughs> Davis in 2017. Um, but uh, what I like about her is, you know, she's improving. And she's also training with um, Alimale, right, in San Diego. Yep. She's doing that yep. underwater training. I mean, that's that's something special. That's an X factor that most fighters don't have. So I like it. I like this matchup for Roxanne too because she's a crafty veteran, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really interesting. I think, like you said, the you know the strength differential might be the ultimate factor here that you know, gives Carmouche the advantage. But who knows? Roxanne Martafari continues to surprise me, so I can't I can't look past her. Yeah, uh, um, from what I've heard from people who have worked with Liz Carmouche, she just her top game is very underrated. She really, really is very strong when she gets you to the mat, and I think that's a big thing. Um, like, like that, we feel like the strength is going to be there. I think that it comes down to the work rate of Roxanne, to, um, trying to stay out of those positions where Liz Carmouche is going to be in range to really, those really just come forward and wrap her arms around her because I feel like at the end of the day, even if though Roxanne has worked a lot, it, it comes down to if Liz gets close to the distance, getting her down. So I think that's what we're really expecting. And we can obviously talk X's and O's soon, but I feel like that's the general sentiment of how that fight will play out. So, But do you agree? Let's say Roxanne pulls off the upset on Liz. Does Roxanne get a, the next title shot? Oh, let's see. I'm looking at the rankings here. Yeah, I guess so because because uh, Caitlin Chukagian is fighting um, Joanne Calderwood on the same card as Shevchenko. I. Yep. Um, so that well, you know, that could be a title contender fight as well. So that's interesting. Um, so mm-hmm. it's possible, but not you know, not a not a like a clear path for her. I would say. I really think it comes down to performance. I think it comes down to what kind of fight Jessica and Valentina have. Um, I think that it, sorry, Joanne, uh, just have a great performance against each other. It's like, well, Roxanne's doing good, but then this girl who's been on a good streak, or if you're Joanne, is no putting on exciting fights. Suddenly, that makes it a little bit harder, but I think that Liz Carmouche has been the number one, number two girl with Jessica I for a minute, and so to take her out, something like we talked about Volkanovski against Aldo, you know, you get past that person, you kind of say, you kind of shut the door on everyone else. It's like, hey, I beat the guy, or I beat the girl. I'm ready for the, the next crack at it, so... I think that's what it's going to come down to is if Roxanne upsets Liz, how impressive were Caitlin or Joanne in their fight? And then we'll go from there for a title shot. And then, of course, health and the calendar, too. So that's really what it comes down to for me in terms of what next, what's next. But if Liz wins, there's no question. I don't think she should take another fight. I think she's proven that she'll be ready for the title and that, you know, by now the schedule should be, uh, should be pretty clear that she's next for the belt. Moving on to the next fight, the former UFC lightweight champion, who, by the way, has never technically lost her title. 
Nico Montano coming back to take on Sarah McMahon. Sarah making her flyweight debut. She's looking to finally to snap this two-fight losing streak. Nico, we haven't seen her since December of 2016, 2017, I believe. It's been a minute. What are your thoughts on this fight? Well, I mean, Sarah McMahon is just like the nicest fighter. So I really just want to see good things for her. And, you know, when she wins, she does that really sweet little bow. And I think when one of her last wins where she like very respectfully asked for a title shot. So, but how is she going to look at 125? I don't know. She's always been very muscular at 135, like just very stocky muscular. And I never felt that she was too small for the division. So she she could have an advantage at 125. She is, let's see how tall is she? She's 5'6". So that's, you know, it's about on par for, for 125. Um, Nico Montano, I have no idea what she's going to look like. Correct me if I'm wrong, does she have like a USADA issue recently or, or that sort of explained why she was out of the picture for so long? Yeah, so she had something, she had the health complications last September that pulled her out of a fight with Valentina and she's been quiet and recently I think had the six month suspension for like tainted supplement or something like that. She didn't like, you know, she didn't have a TJ Dillashaw test, but she did have a little uh, issue, I think similar to Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's just, that's just part of the game, I guess, these days with, with taking a bunch of supplements from, from different places and you don't know what you're going to get. And we'll go with that. So that's, that was the case. But yeah. it's a long time away from, from, from competing. I'm sure she's been training. But I feel like the UFC kind of doesn't really like her. I know that sounds weird, like very like high school, but I just feel like they are really still burned from the issue with the, the title match against Shevchenko and uh, I think she feels misunderstood as a fighter. And so I am curious, apart from how she's going to look in the octagon, I am curious to hear her, you know, during media week or, or even leading up to, to fight week, just what she has to say, her side of the story. She's, you know, as far as performance, she's a tough, gritty fighter. But McMahon is super smart, very, very smart, so experienced. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything about my pick. Uh, I think it is a good matchup, though. Let's see what McMahon looks like at 125. Let's see how Nico looks after a long layoff. You know, I, I, uh, I, I want to ask you, though, who do you think a loss hurts more? Ooh, that's a good question. I like it because I don't have a very top of my head answer. <laughs> um, that, hi, Nico, easily. I, I mean, I know this would be three straight for Sarah, but at the end of the day, Nico is just, she's kind of in limbo right now. You almost feel like if any more bad news happens, UFC is just going to be like, we're, we're just, you're just not going to cut it. And, um, I find it funny that you say that because it really does seem like they're kind of telling her, like, Nico, you can't sit with us. You can't call yourself a UFC fighter if you're not fighting in UFC. And um, I, I think the thing I always go back to with Nico is that I really feel like it was just a lot of missteps in terms of uh, 
how she handled her last uh, hiatus before the uh, Shevchenko booking. Because it seemed like she was like, yeah, I'm rated five down team. And it's like, and it wasn't until things really hit a fever pitch that she finally said, like, well, I had this issue and I can't fight. And in my mind, I'm like, you should have that from the get-go because now it doesn't look like you were, you know, I don't like to use the word afraid with fighters, but it did look like you were that Valentina is for you at your stage of your career. So to me, the, I think that's what has been the source of the Nico disconnect for both fans and the UFC. And uh, look, you have a test that, you know, you test positive for something, that doesn't look good. I don't care who you are. Um, so I think that's just what it's come down to is that it's been hard for her to kind of like recover from that. And of course the situation, Nico, I think is less than seven fights into her career, something like that. Valentina has over 20, I think approaching 30 fights. Of course, you know, people are like, this is going to be a mismatch. Nico wants to be a UFC champion as long as she can hold that belt, you know, on the calendar. I get how it looked on the outside, and I think fans did too, so it really didn't matter what she said. As soon as she had one misstep, people already had their story in mind about what was going on. So as much as three losses would hurt Sarah McMahon, and you could argue that that could be her UFC job on the line, I really do think that it's uh, Nico's – I think it's back against the wall for Nico. I think if Nico loses, UFC might just be like, thank you for – you know. Thanks for playing. Uh, we'll, you know, we're gonna let you go. See how you do in a place like LFA, like that, and then we'll see where you go from there. But yeah, stylistically, uh, what are you gonna get from Nico, Sarah McMahon? Is it just, is she gonna feel different? Is she gonna perform differently at 125? All that is gonna be the big question. Why? Who do you think a loss would hurt more? I'm with you. I think it's Nico. She's the former champ. And so if you lose to someone, even though it's Sarah McMahon who has this pedigree at 135, who fought Ronda Rousey, I think if you lose to someone who's brand new to your division, it looks bad. You know, before she was the first 125 champ, there's this weird, you know, story with her losing the belt and then all this stuff. Yeah, I think it's definitely worse for her. And and as we're both feeling that she's a little bit on the outskirts with the UFC, on the outs with them. So they're just looking for, you know, any excuse to give her the the, the nudge off the plank. And, and this could very well be it. Yeah, I think that this is a very... Now, respectfully, that's probably about the best stylistic matchup you could... Yeah, because there's so many questions around Sarah, too. So I do want to give the benefit of the doubt there. But, yeah, there's no question that this really is a – it feels like a loser leaves town kind of fight, plain and simple. Yeah, yeah, I like but, yeah, I'd love to tell you that this is the part of the show where we're about to talk about some exciting fights that we can't wait to watch on Saturday, but there are none. We will be back next Saturday with UFC Stockholm, Alexander Gustafsson, Anthony Smith, good stuff. But I figured we would have some fun. We are here on the show. So there have been a few little games that we've played over the course of the show in the past. I've decided to bring a few of them back. 
the first one, uh, fighter nicknames, because everyone needs a good nickname, and you can't pick your own. I've tried. It didn't work. It's, never, it's like making such hats. It just didn't catch on. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I figured I was watching a video, and it was, there was a lot of mean girl jokes, and I was like, yeah, that's, that is a quotable movie. You're never but, gonna um, make that happen. It it really is like what's like Rory McDonald's nickname. He changes it too often. I know he's only done it like two or three times, but still, uh, when you're when you've been that high profile, you can't do it. So my nickname from this thing you sent me was terrible, but I'll tell you anyway. They asked me a bunch of questions like how ancient am I and what I want out of life and very fascinating questions. I couldn't wait to get the perfect nickname, and it told me my name was Knuckles McKill. So, there you go. Natalie, Knuckles McKill Zamudio. You know what? I got a similar thing, so I did mine. I thought I picked some very thoughtful answers, and it it came out to brass knuckles, don't mess with me. And it didn't use the word mess, so you could fill in the blank. But, yeah, and I was like, that's just too many words. That's too long, you know, man. I was, I was hoping the killer, something, you know. Bruce cool. Buffer's going to run out of air before he exactly. says, get to Gonzalez. Yeah. Exactly. He's going to be talking about how tall I am and what I'm fighting out of. He doesn't got time for all that. But, yeah, so that one, um, I don't know. You seem like a, a knuckles, Natalie. I know you're tough. Maybe kick, yeah, because you're always practicing with your sis- Shevchenko sisters, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love to punch things. That's true. No matter how old I get, I don't punch people, but you know, I love. It's just like in my nature, man. I just love punching things, and not I like out like of anger. <laughs> yeah, I don't punch people. I don't punch out of anger. It's literally pure joy. And I guess the only thing I punch is heavy bags because I take boxing classes. So really, that's it. But I love it so much. So Knuckles McKill, maybe it's not so far off, but a long time ago, the UFC had like a thing where you could do your own nickname and they gave me a stupid one too. And it was air raid, like a plane, you know, doing an air raid over a city or something. I was like, that's terrible. So I actually have my own personal ones, even though you say you can't pick your own, but if you want to hear them, I will tell you. (laughs) Uh, Of course. Okay. So I grew up in Montebello, born and raised, and the zip code for Montebello is 90640. And so I thought, even though my fiancé thinks it's stupid, I thought it would be cool for my nickname to be Natalie 90640 Zamudio. I could just, I could really hear Bruce Buffer saying it. I think it would sound cool. Uh, But in case that's that's, uh, already taken, which is highly unlikely, but in case, my other nickname would be a, a reference to an episode of The Simpsons where Homer becomes a boxer and Mo Sislak tells him his, 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 his own history of being a boxer. And he says, you know, I used to be kid gorgeous and then I became uh, kid, uh, kid ugly and then I became kid Mo because he just started getting uglier and uglier. Uh, so I mm-hmm. think it would be kind of funny, not because I feel that I'm getting ugly, but because I love The Simpsons for my, uh, my nickname to be, uh, to be kid Mo. So those are my two options, Natalie Kid Mozamudio or Natalie 90640 and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Oh, I'm 
that's gonna be I'm tension your contact in my phone right now. <laughs> I like nine oh six four oh I I guess uh, my only thing about it is like if you can't get Nate Diaz to call himself 209 <laughs> you know how are you going to get four numbers or five numbers but I like it I think it sounds it, it makes you sound like the gangster I know you're not that's how I know it works yeah correct it flows man yeah. it flows <laughs> like we hanging out now we got to go roll up and pick up 90640 <laughs> I like it uh-huh. um We've done this on the show before in pre-Natalie time. I don't remember I was given the gangster moniker because it was a triple G kind of thing. And everyone already oh, that's cool. double a lot. So we were trying to figure that out. Um, when I used to train, I was probably the smallest guy at the gym from the height. You know, drank their protein shakes when I was learning and all that. So, But I like to think I got pretty competent. So I always felt like it was Jurassic Park, and I was always the little velociraptor. But I was always had to train and roll with these big T-Rex people. So I always said I'm more like the raptor in the Jurassic Park. So that was one that I always felt was cool. But, yeah, the UFC did give me one on their website too, and I got the tomahawk which I was like, I could work with that. I we like that, man. For sure. That's dope. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, like so I also that, like that Raptor. Is, that's what I said. That sounds Raptor cool. Raptor cool. And then you got freaking, you know, the Toronto Raptors doing pretty hot right now in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, I don't know. You should think about snagging it now before someone else does. Exactly. Drake could be on my team. It'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's way cooler than 50 Cent. <laughs> I think no, so. But, uh, so good stuff, fun stuff. Then I have another one. I thought since you and I are both big fans of TV, movies, and pop culture, in case fans haven't noticed, our favorite movie cameos by UFC fighters. So, you know, ranking and picking out some of our best ones. So there's obviously going to be a lot. So I'm going to give you the challenge to just pick out one or two to go to. And then, um, you know, yeah, we can talk about some of our favorite uh, fighters and all of their moments on the big screen or the small screen. Okay. I'm going to go with one that probably most people will roll their eyes out, but she has been in, you know, a decent amount of movies. So I'm going to go with Ronda Rousey in Entourage. I thought it was funny. Um, oh, uh, you know, look, I love Ronda Rousey. I always say that, and I know probably, I don't know how she, what her, how she, uh, what her place is in MMA right now. But I, I, I know that as much as I love her, I can still say her acting, you know, is is okay. It's gotten better over the years. Uh, I think in Fast and Furious, it was super stiff, a little bit so in Expendables, but Entourage was okay. When she was on SNL, some of those skits were pretty solid. So I think she's definitely improving. Uh, and so I liked her there. My other pick is actually not a UFC fighter, so I'm going to say it anyway, though. Gabe Rosado, he's a boxer. He was in Creed. I thought he was awesome. He was really scary. I don't even think he said anything. He was just really good. So I, that's I'm, all I got. I'm not going to 
they pick some good, like a lot of the guys, like you know, that are not you know Rocky or Creed. The boxers they pick for those movies, they actually pick some pretty decent guys for boxing movies. You know, um, the guy they got to play Drop Junior, the he, I thought he did great. I thought that, um, you know, Andre Ward wasn't too bad. So I, I'm with you there. You know what? I'm going to go very mainstream. I liked GSP fighting Captain America. I thought, you know, when you really, it, like, if you're watching UFC, like, uh, I think that movie came out right when GSP was, before he even uh, retired against Johnny Hendricks. Um, so to see him do that one, I thought that was cool. And then the one that I always find low-key that I couldn't believe, Tyron Woodley in uh, Straight Outta Compton. He just randomly oh, yeah. rolls up as part of Ice Cube's crew. And I'm like, uh, I remember my mom told me, it's like, isn't that Tyron Woodley? And I was like, nah. And then I keep looking <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> That's the one that always I trip out. You know, he's, um, he's really good on camera. He's, he's a natural. I mean, I don't know what that guy is doing still fighting. I know he loves it, but let's be honest. He's got a lot of irons in the fire, if you ask me. Um, let me ask you another one. Have you ever had one that was uh, too unexpected? Like, I don't know what this guy was doing. No, man, I can't think of any. I, I I can't think of anything. And, like, in fact, the only one, some of the ones I can't think of, I actually haven't seen the movies. So, like, I know Michael Bisting's done a couple of things, and, like, I've seen the trailers, but I haven't actually seen the movie. Well, he did, like, um, Triple X, and he did some other movie, too. So, yeah, I, I can't. But if you got any, I'd love to hear them. I mean, what I noticed when I looked at the IMDb, like, Bisting, Holloway, Woodley, they all have done, like, Hawaii 5.0 randomly. Um, I know this, this thing does a lot of stuff. Like, you know, he really takes advantage of living in Southern California and the fact that he's not fighting anymore. I find <laughs> that funny. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't see him fighting James Bond anytime soon, even though he's British. But, I mean, keep doing your thing, Bisping. But, yeah, I think that you and I will definitely have a lot more movie talk in the future. But, yeah, that's... We will be back next week to talk about the real fight. Like I said, you see Stockholm, Anthony Smith, Alexander Gustafsson at home. That's always a good showing. So we will have a lot for you guys next week. But until then, Natalie, it's been fun. Where can fans find you on social media to keep up with all these fights? Yeah, man, this has been fun. Uh, Rama 5 on Twitter. The Moody Rama on Instagram and the website is straightpunch.com and, and everyone, I hope that uh, everyone has a good holiday weekend. Yes, everyone, happy Memorial Day. Remember, you can find me on social media at double G on TV. Just spell out the word bubble and we'll be back next week. Hello? Hello?